following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
How Job missed God. How Job missed God. Oh Lord, unveil for our eyes the truth of our heart's condition that we would not miss you. Oh, the tear of being separated from you, mighty God of heaven. Light a flame in this house today and draw us into your heart, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. Job, the first chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 6. Job, the first chapter, beginning in verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth, from going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And then we have this whole story of woe that unfolds. Everything he has is stripped away from him. All of his money is stripped away. His children are killed. In utter despair, in verse 20, Job got up and tore his robes, shaved his head, fell to the ground in worship, and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. What an incredible statement of absolute faith and belief in the name of the Lord God of heaven. Chapter 2. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? 
Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on the earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity. Though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And then his three friends showed up. These three friends sat for seven days in silence. I wish I could wait seven days before I speak to my brother or my sister in judgment on their life. But we're an impatient people. We want to speak instantly. These three friends sat for seven days and waited. Job likewise sat waiting. And then we find in chapter 3 where Job missed God. Chapter 3, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said a boy is born, that day may it turn to darkness. And now Job is going to set the stage for a discussion with his friends. He has taken it from the high level of absolute trust and confidence in Almighty God. Remember, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Now he no longer praises the name of the Lord. Now he has reached his limit with God, and he says, cursed be the day I was born. And now he's missed God. Always the Lord is in the process of bringing us to an end of ourselves. The question is, when God brings you to an end of yourself, will you miss God and involve everybody around you in a round of recrimination and accusation and broken fellowship? Will your heart turn in bitterness and say, I could take everything up to this point, but this is too far. I could put up with a broken down car. I could put up with a family being upset, but I can't put up. And you draw the line 
And you say, now I've had it. And, you know, that's when the spitting and the cursing and the yelling start. Woe is me. I always try to do my best. But where is my life? Where am I getting trying to be a Christian? Oh, Job opened Pandora's box. The three friends didn't open Pandora's box. Job opened the box and set the tone for the whole discussion. I can guarantee you the whole discussion with the three friends would have been dramatically different had he simply said to them, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, may the name of the Lord be praised. I'm going to praise the Lord no matter how I feel or what happens. Oh, Job didn't say that. No, Job was mad. Curse the day I was born. Why were there arms to receive me? Why were there breasts to feed me? Oh, I mean, he's at the very bottom of the barrel. His skin has worms. He has boils from head to foot. Now, he could stand as long as everybody else was having a part of his problem, but now the problem was very personal. Satan knows who we are, and he knows where your limit is. And he is right now preparing to take you to the end of your limit. I won't be so bold as to ask if any of you crossed your limit this last week. But I have a hunch this threshold is not uncommon to any of us. I fear we cross it, and then we come back to Jesus, and then we run as hard as we can to cross it again as soon as our buttons are pushed and we're over the edge. Sometimes there's no yelling and spitting. There's just cold, icy distance. If you're going to treat me this way, I'm out of here. You can be alone if you're going to act like that. Now, Job understood intellectually what the issues were. You find in the 19th chapter, verse 25, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. I can hear some of you now yelling and spitting and cussing. But if suddenly you were stopped and the question is asked, do you believe in Jesus Christ? You would say, of course I believe in Jesus Christ. What do you mean, do I believe in? Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, and you'd be saying it and spitting. <laughs> you understand theologically? We don't have a problem here of lack of teaching. Job understood intellectually what the issues were. I know that my Redeemer lives. I mean, wasn't that an astounding revelation when Jesus hadn't even been born yet? Moses hadn't even been dreamed of. And he's saying, I know my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. I know Jesus is coming again. Right in the midst of your miserable agony, the question is asked, do you believe Jesus will come again? Absolutely, I believe it. 
And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. He's saying, I know there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. 80% of Americans say they believe they're going to be taken to paradise when they die. We don't have a problem here with understanding. It's another problem we're facing. It's a problem of missing God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Suddenly you see that Job is feeling his distance from God. And his heart is yearning for God. But he knows that his behavior has separated him from Almighty God. And now all he can do with God is argue with him. Have you ever sometimes spoken things to your wife or your husband that you wish you hadn't have spoken? And separation has ensued? And you somehow wish you could go out and reel in all those nasty words that were spoken because right now your heart is yearning just to be close to your wife or your husband. But you can't be close because of all these words that have been spit out of your mouth. You know, she's mad she got in the car and she left. You're sitting at home in the wreckage. Feeling stupid. And saying, boy, I wish I could just reel those nasty words in. I'd like to go get an ice cream cone with my wife. I wish we could just go do something together. But you can't because the words are spoken. The distance is there. You ever feel like that was God? Yeah. You know you messed up royally. The distance is there. And your heart's crying out. Your heart is yearning for God. You've got to deal with this stuff that you've created that separates you from God. And then after a period of time, pride begins to just settle in like ice freezing. And hardness, before it was liquid, in a heartbeat you would have repented. But now you're thinking, you know, it was really her fault. You know, she really, she really messed up. And now the yearning in your heart isn't yearning anymore. The, the fire of anger is rising up and saying, you know, she always does this. I put up with this all of our married life. I wish, I wish. You know, maybe I ought to just die. Then my wife could get a husband that she really loves. <laughs> have, it, have any of you ever walked in this road? <laughs> and this hardens into pride. So when your wife comes back, Instead of telling her that there was a short period of time when you wish you could go and get an ice cream cone together, you've got ten more things on the list for how she messed up. And it's a very lonely night. A very lonely week. 
And pretty soon you're in a pattern of always being separate one from another. How many times have you watched a husband and wife go sit down in a restaurant and they don't speak two words to each other? They speak very graciously with the person who's serving their table. They smile at them. They're expressive. But not one, not one word of kindness between husband and wife. No, they're too mad. Pride has risen up. Arrogance is consuming. You're not going to treat me this way and get away with it. I'll get you. Missing God. Missing God. Job was missing God. And the debate rattles on chapter after chapter. I dread reading these chapters. Every time I read through the scriptures, I want to skip it all. I want to read the introduction to Job. I want to read the conclusion of Job and get it out of the way. But the Lord won't let me do it because I'm supposed to read it all. Being responsible. And then God speaks. Who is this? Chapter 38, verse 2. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Now, I can't think of anything more I dread than God coming to me and speaking to me in this manner. I want the Father to come to me through the Holy Spirit and say, My son, come sit beside me. I mean, I remember when my dad, he would walk out of the house and he would call us. And sometimes he would call us in a manner that put terror in my heart. Uh, one night, it was always the three boys, there were no sisters, it was always the boys' job after dinner in the evening to wash the dishes and dry them and put them away in the cupboard. On this particular night, we had washed all the dishes, we dried them, and we were out on our bikes outside. And Dad came to the door. And he called us each by name. And when he called me Raymond, I knew I was in trouble. He lined us all up. He said, were you three supposed to dry the dishes tonight? And of course, each of us pointed at the other. That was Roger's job tonight. Roger said, that was Ray's job tonight. And Don said, I washed. <laughs> and Dad said, well, all three of you are going to dry. And he went to the cupboards. And he showed us that we'd put the dishes wet into the cupboard. And so he ran a big pan of hot water. And he started emptying all of the dishes, even the ones not used, into the tub of hot water. Until there was a stack of dishes that I thought we would never get through. And we, until late that night, 
dried dishes and put them away carefully in the cupboard with dad watching, coming over and inspecting the dishes, having said to us, if the dishes are not dry this time, the pots and pans will go in also. I tell you, those dishes were so dry, there was not a drop of moisture. I think this is how Job felt. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. I can see him braced, hunched. The wind of God is blowing on him. It's about to knock him over. God is upset with him. Chapter 40, the Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Now, what I want you to see is that when Job began to curse the day he was born, he was accusing God of having made a mistake in bringing him forth from the womb. We always speak of Job's friends as being the accusers. God says Job was the accuser. Job answered the Lord, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Oh, now that's progress. What a wonderful thing it would be Men, if we could learn to shut up, I won't speak to the ladies. What a joy it would be in our homes if we men could learn to just shut up. It would change so much. Job is saying, I'll shut up. I'm not going to say anymore. I've said too much already. But then the breakthrough comes. Job 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. Now, you understand, he's still scabbed up with worms. He's still sick. As far as he's concerned, he's dying. You said, verse 4, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Oh, what glory there is in repentance when you keep your mouth shut. When you no longer have any defense to offer. You simply say, I was wrong, and I recognize it, and I see who you are, God, and I won't do this again. Had Job simply been willing to turn and trust the Lord God Almighty with his tragedy, of health, as he was with his tragedy of finances, 
we would have a totally different book of Job. But it raises the question, when you're pressed to the point of breaking, what do you do? You start to shout and spit and scream and cuss and throw a tamper, a temper tantrum. You turn icy cold and grow distant and hard. You become judgmental. What do you do when you're pressed to your limit? Job became very defensive, accusing God, cursing the day he was born, wishing he could just die. There's another who was pressed to his limit. What did he do? His name was Jesus. He was in the garden in Mark, the 14th chapter, verse 34. He's deeply distressed. He's troubled. He's beyond all that he can tolerate. He's beyond the point of being able to stand what's going on in his life. Everything is in shambles. His disciples are deserting him. His disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Judas has betrayed him. Everything has fallen apart. His whole three years of ministry are now down the tube. The leaders of the nation are turning against him. They want to kill him. He's recognizing now that his feet are set on a path that will separate him from God, not because of his sin, but because of my sin, because of your sin. And the thought of being separated from the Father by my sin is more than his heart can bear. He's at the point of death. He is in such agony of soul. My soul, verse 34, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He says to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. In Luke 22, we won't turn to it now, but in Luke 22, we find he begins to sweat drops of blood. Medical science tells us that this occurs in a person's life under deep, deep trauma just before they pass, they die. Jesus would never have made it to the cross had the angels not come and strengthened him in that Garden of Gethsemane experience. He was not pushed to just Job's level. He was pushed beyond Job's level. And when he was pushed to the point he was actually dying, he said, yet not. What I will, but what you will. In other words, Lord God of heaven, your will be done. Do you understand? When you reach your limit, you can go Job's direction. Or you can go Jesus' direction. You can turn into an accuser. You can be destructive in your family at work, with your friends. 
Or you can go the direction Jesus went and simply say, in the midst of this utter crisis that may kill me, I'm going to trust the almighty God of heaven. I'm not going to be sucked into this morass of darkness. I'm not going to be sucked into this wickedness. I am going to stand by faith that Jesus is my deliverer. And so no word that is spoken to me will spark an angry, bitter response because I can't be pushed beyond Jesus Christ. Every attack, every misunderstanding only pushes me deeper into Jesus Christ. Every affliction of the body pushes me deeper into Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus modeled for us. Every financial loss pushes me deeper into Jesus. I used to always hear this when I was a kid, and now I know it's true. As you grow older, you grow better or you grow bitter. I'll never forget having to sit beside my mother's bed in the nursing home and just straight up say to her as kindly as I knew how, Mother, you have a decision to make. Are you going to die a bitter, angry old woman? Or are you going to pass from this life with glory on your face? It's your choice. And of course, she began to weep. I said, Mother, do you think I'm being hard on you? No. I said, Mother, I'm not trying to be hard on you. But you've become very, very hard to live with. And you have a lot of reasons to be hard to live with. You know you're not ever going to walk out of this nursing home. You're going to die here. You're going to die in this bed. Now, do you believe that you're going to go to be with Jesus? And is that enough to get you past being bitter? And a smile broke out on her face. And I want to tell you the day she died, there was a smile on her face. See, we have to make a choice. Are you going to walk this out with bitterness and anger and striking one another with fists? Are you going to walk this out by faith in Jesus Christ and give up all the words of the devil? He always comes saying, defend yourself. He always comes and says, don't let anybody rule over you. Don't submit to anybody. You're the man. He always comes and lies to us. I want to tell you today, I'm not the man. Jesus Christ is the man. If you come and contend with me, I pray you'll not have to contend with me. I pray you'll have to contend with Jesus Christ. Because my heart is to be dead in him 
to be buried in Christ Jesus, to be resurrected in the newness of life, to have entrusted into his hand all of my future. Now I have to tell you, you're going to walk through some things that you're not going to like. They are going to test your soul. Will you say, as Jesus said, take this cup from me if possible, but if not, thy will be done. Or are you going to rise up like Job did and curse the day of your birth? Comes back to his disciples in verse 37 and he finds them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. This passage of scripture rends my heart apart. Because in Psalm 69, 20, he says, Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but found none. Jesus found no sympathy with his disciples because they were all worried about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. He found no comfort with his disciples because they were exhausted from sorrow because they weren't getting their way. They wanted their own life. They wanted their own joy. They wanted their own recognition and their own greatness. And so Jesus now has to speak to them in a pastoral manner when he desperately needed them to comfort him as a friend. He is able to rise above his own need Can I say that again? He was able to rise above his own need. And instead of rebuking them with bitterness, he pastors them. Are you asleep? Obviously they were asleep. Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. He doesn't say, watch and pray so you can comfort me. He doesn't say, watch and pray so that you'll do what I want you to do. No. He's not demanding that they take care of him. You know, you've been demanding this week that somebody take care of you. The Lord's saying, will you rise above your own stuff? And will you turn to Jesus? And let him be enough for you. And then Jesus makes this wonderful statement of statement of explanation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Oh, I'm so glad he knows my spirit and my body disagree. Your spirit and body ever disagree? Oh, Jesus. Thank you for understanding that difference and for not condemning me. 
If Jesus were to judge me today based on how I behave, he would cast me out into darkness. But instead of judging me based on what I've done, he's looked at my heart and he's seen that I yearn to be close to him. Now he knows when he sends the Holy Spirit after the crucifixion, the steps will finally come in line with the Spirit. I want to tell you today, that's a process. And the Lord doesn't curse us for the process. He encourages us. He lifts us up. He said, come on, I understand. You're willing in your spirit, but your body's in rebellion. Let's take it another step. Now, once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. Jesus is my model. And I tell you what, he was sinless, but he had to keep going back and praying the same thing over and over because he didn't want to die. He did not want to die. But each time when he submitted, he was strengthened in his body to walk out what his spirit was willing to do. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone except God the Father. God the Father did not desert Jesus Christ on the cross. The Holy Spirit drew close. They shielded the crucifixion by causing the sun not to shine. They stripped Jesus and the Father clothed Jesus in his mercy. What are you going to do with your final edge that you say you won't go any further? You're going to play Job? Are you going to follow the steps of Jesus? Do you sell out to human wisdom? Or do you sell out to the Holy Spirit? Almighty God, you are merciful and kind, compassionate, knowing that our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. But Lord God, I don't want to live the rest of my life with my flesh weak. I want to live with that flesh crucified. I want to be totally reborn in the spirit, walking in victory, no longer bowing to the devil's schemes. Oh, Jesus. There's such a work of healing and restoration in our families, in our marriages, in our jobs. Lord, would you come with power today and would you redeem us by the blood shed on Calvary's tree? Thank you, Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I want to make an appeal today.
No, I want to make an offer today. If for whatever reason today you come to this fellowship and you feel beat up and you know you need the healing presence of the Holy Spirit, would you come and let us pray for you? If you come today feeling beat up by the devil and the world and your own behavior, and you know you need that healing, come and let us pray for you. Lord, these dear ones are coming saying they feel beat up. Where they have hit their limit and slid right on by. Some have spoken words of bitterness and anger. Some have just been broken hearted. Lord, whatever it is today, I'm asking you to forgive them. And I'm asking you to turn their hearts toward heaven. I'm asking you to put such a yearning in their heart for you, Jesus. Lord, I'm asking you to draw them right into your heart today to pour out your compassion and your mercy. Lord, to pour out your kindness for them, to sustain them. And Lord, I'm asking you to give them the courage to turn to you and simply confess, I will trust you, Jesus. You are enough for me, Jesus. So, Lord, I ask you to bind up these wounds. Lord, most of them are self-inflicted. Lord, would you bind up these wounds? Would you pour in the oil and the wine? Oh, Lord. We cast ourselves today on your mercy. And I plead your blood over my brothers and sisters. Jesus, I plead your blood, your healing and your restoration. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. To shine, the seasons change. You are, you are more faithful than the moon to cast her light, the tides to turn again. You are, you are, you are faithful, Lord. Never failing friend, unchanging God, eternal Savior.
unending source, ageless creator, you are faithful, Lord. More faithful than our minds could ever comprehend or words define you are you are more faithful than the things we see or that our feelings seem to say you are you are you are faithful Lord never failing friend, unchanging God, eternal Savior. You are faithful, Lord, never wavering guide, unending source, ageless creator. You are faithful, Lord. As you have always been, so you will always be. The living word, the solid rock that holds our hearts in perfect peace. Failing friend, unchanging God, eternal Savior. You are faithful, Lord, never wavering God, unending source, ageless creator. You are faithful, Lord. Oh, you are faithful.